Hello, all you happy innovators out there. How you doing? You hanging in there? I'm going to finish that discussion today about fame. I'm going to wrap it up. The conclusion, finally, of this discussion. But don't worry. After this is over, i got plenty more for you. There's no shortage of material here. I hope you don't mind if I drink my coffee while I talk to you. Today's going to be a little informal, I think. I kind of like that. And I'm just going to talk to you today. Just a little bit of talking. I hope you don't mind. And you know, I think I'm going to share a story with you, you know, because what would a Snowflake 33 be if I didn't share a story? At least one story, right? So here you go. And it's a true story. And it's a good story that I forgot about until recently but uh it involves my brother dave my big brother my oldest brother um he had a friend of his okay this is probably when i was about well i would probably say i was about maybe 10 or 12 years old okay and by that time i had been drumming for you know probably about five years and uh basically what happened was my brother my oldest brother dave had a friend of his that was in a band and (laughs) his friend's name was Dallas. Okay. And he played guitar and sang in a country band. Okay. And this country band was doing a gig at a campground. Okay. And my brother, Dave, asked me if I wanted to go because he knew I was like a drummer and I liked music and he was like, you know, he wanted to include me, you know, for this event, you know. So I went and uh, what's really cool is, you know, they, they were playing like cover songs, you know, country cover songs, you know, stuff that I didn't really like. But my brother Dave being, you know, as cool as he is, um. He had mentioned to his friend Dallas that I played drums. And I was actually, you know, for a little kid, I was doing okay, you know. So, mid-set, you know, halfway through the evening, Dallas comes up to me and he says, Hey, would you want to sit down and drum on one of our songs? And, like, for me, this is like a dream come true, you know. And as far as I know, I think it was my first public performance as a drummer. (laughs) Okay. So what's funny about it is, okay, I'm kind of, I guess, a little proud of this. Okay. Uh, We did a couple of Led Zeppelin songs. And I think we did Rock and Roll and we did Black Dog, I think. And uh, I was just a little kid. Okay. But I sat down behind this drum set, you know, and we started to do these songs and I was rocking out. I was this little kid just like rocking out behind this big, huge drum set, you know, and uh, the crowd was going crazy because I was so young and uh, it was kind of like from out of nowhere, you know, just this kid, you know, what was funny was okay, the, the songs went well. Okay, and I played them as far as I remember. I think I got a little tired or something, but uh, uh, I did okay. But their drummer, (laughs) I think, got a little pissed off. (laughs) Actually happened. I was just a little kid, and he kind of got pissed off. You know, like, 
Okay, give me those sticks. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was a sign. Yeah. Hearing that crowd roar, you know? Like, okay, yeah, I can do this. I could do this, yeah, for the for the rest of my life, yeah, I, I could do this. So, little story I, I figured I'd share with you there. I don't know whatever happened to Dallas and his band, but, you know, if you're out there, Dallas, thanks for the gig, man. Thanks for the debut, you know? I had completely forgotten about that until just not too long ago, and uh, I thought I'd share it with you. I hope you don't mind. Anyway... You know what? You know what I'll talk about? I'll talk about the first episode. <laughs> I'll talk to you about that first episode I made about a year ago. What's funny about it, like when I go back and listen to it, is uh, I remember a lot of things that I had forgotten. And one of the things that's funny about it is at the time I did it, I was like really sick. I had like the flu in, at the end of summer. I got the flu, and oh, I was just so sick. I mean, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, it was like 100 degrees outside, and here I am bedridden. I mean, it was just awful. But I knew that I wanted to start doing some kind of talking bit, you know. So I'm pretty bullheaded sometimes, and, and you know, I get it in my mind that this is the date that it's going to happen. Well, sick or not sick, it was going to happen, and it did. But when I go back and listen to it, it's pretty funny because I'm talking like this. This is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records. And you can hear in my voice that I'm sick, but it's like this totally like like barely alive voice like talking, you know. It makes me laugh whenever I hear it. I think it's come a long way. And I'm glad for that. So, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily better, but it's come a long way. You know, and when I first started doing the snowflakes, everything was kind of like scripted. And, oh, it just took forever. I knew early on there was no way that I was ever going to be able to, you know, keep up with it. It wasn't going to happen. You know, to do that every week, that process. And so I started to do kind of like freeform and I wasn't sure if people would like it or not. But that's what I've been doing for quite some time. And it seems to be kind of working out okay. So, um, But really what I wanted to illustrate to you as a listener is that um, I am an outsider artist. And I've been preserved. I guess that's kind of how I see it. Okay? Um when you look at the lives of famous musicians, okay, they're not really happy. They might make a lot of money and all those things, but, I mean, how many cliches can you throw at that? I mean, money doesn't buy happiness, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's true. It is absolutely true. Um, but what I always kind of took note of, you know, throughout my journey as a outsider artist was... Um, just how many of those artists would come and go? Like they would, they would be really good, and they would be really famous, and then maybe after one or two or three albums, they weren't able to make good music anymore, or 
they broke up because there was some kind of, you know, beef with the guitar player over money or something or ownership and rights to the music, right? But with me and with Pipe Choir and PC3 and PC1 and the Marion Circle Drum Brigade, you know, now with the interesting actual and these Snowflake episodes... What you have is a guy who's been kind of preserved. I was never touched by uh, fame. I had a taste of it. And and it was okay. It was alright, but for the most part, it wasn't really what I wanted. I didn't want to forfeit my ambiguity and my privacy. I didn't. It's not what I wanted. It wasn't that important to me that I was famous. It really wasn't. And um, now I'm glad that I'm not. I actually kind of feel like um, I was spared fame. You know, I, I guess I kind of noticed about 10 or 15 years ago, a major shift had started to take place culturally. Okay, I call it costume culture. And it was a shift towards superficiality. Now, when I was younger, there was a, a term that was used to describe someone. The term was poser. You were, you were a poser if you were wearing certain clothing, a certain style of dress in order to portray that you were this kind of person with this kind of lifestyle and that was frowned on okay that was a negative thing to be called a poser because you were not authentic you were not real you were just presenting effrontery you were presenting yourself as someone who lives a lifestyle without actually living the lifestyle and I noticed that with the younger kids, that was acceptable. Okay, that became the standard that everyone was a poser. <laughs> okay? And, you know, that kind of thinking has always inspired me to run the other way as quickly as I could, okay? Um, is it a big deal? No, but it's a symptom. It's a signal that something has changed. And um, there were words that were used back in the day, okay? When I was a younger musician, when I was a younger artist, okay? And like words like contrived, and derivative, okay? Um, those were negative criticisms. When something was derivative of something else, or when something seemed contrived, basically what that meant was that it was not authentic, that it was co-opted from some other source, from someone who was willing to live the lifestyle or you know, do the extreme thing, okay? And 
the byproduct of doing that extreme thing forged this person, forged a lifestyle, forged their fashion. It forged everything. Okay. I saw this shift take place where it was okay to wear the costume, but not live the lifestyle to, to co-opt the look and the frontery without being real. And that's unacceptable to me. You know, it's just unacceptable to me. And uh, I understand that with the arts and music, and especially with the arts and music and things like that, that um, aesthetic is very important. Okay, I, I understand that. And there are artists who, in my opinion, have mastered it. Okay, the marriage between the aesthetic and the sound. Okay, um, for example, Bjork. Okay, everybody knows Bjork, and who would argue? Who could argue that this woman is following anyone else? She's not. It doesn't matter what other artists are doing, what her contemporaries are doing. It doesn't matter. She has always stood alone. Her music is different. Her sound is different. Her style is different. Uh, She changes it up. She's creative. But her aesthetic is all her own. She is constantly refining it and changing it. Just Google her name and look at the images of her over the years. So, she's an example to me of how it can be done right. So, my argument is not against the aesthetic outright. It's, it's about the superficiality of it. The nature of it. That's where I have a problem. And... Okay, now there's another layer to this, too, that I want to talk about. And the reason I want to talk about it, really, is because it is ultimately what inspired this whole fame discussion anyway. Okay, now, I became aware, maybe about a year or two ago, that people on like YouTube and Spotify and SoundCloud all of the different platforms were buying their engagement and by that what I mean is they were buying their likes they were buying their subscribers they were buying their their views okay they were buying their engagement from an audience that was fake <laughs> you know they were faking it because they wanted to be famous because because the desire for fame had become so insatiable and so inflated okay and so accessible if you had the right amount of money <laughs> okay and when i first realized that when i when it first came to my understanding that that was not only possible but it was happening I was like, ah, I was like, eye roll, face palm, whoa. Like, you've got to be kidding, okay? 
that was like that hit the button in my brain. Like I like I had to say something. I have to say something about it. I couldn't just let that go because it was so stupid. Okay? Now I understand that you know for YouTubers and you know whatever that buying your engagement is in some ways part of the game. Okay? That if you want to build up your channel, if you want to build things up, you might have to buy some fake subscribers. You might have to buy some fake views to kind of puff it up a little bit so that you start to get attention from real people. Okay? That your your subscriber number and your likes, your engagement determines how valuable your content is to someone who is unsuspecting and just stumbling across what you're doing. But when I first realized that possibly a lot of the creators that I was coming across were actually faking it, okay, that they really weren't that good, they bought their numbers, they bought it, it was fake. Whoa. I just, I, I can't believe it, you know? I, I I couldn't do it. I would never do it. And I guess, you know, it was just after years of this stuff and seeing it and hearing about it and just, oh, just, you know, is it a big deal? Not really, but it's, it inspired me to go the other way, okay? And... Um, fame is not important to me. Fame, what is fame? Let's ask the question. What is fame and what does it mean? Is it important? Fame. Fame is to be avoided. Fame often equals uh, loss of privacy. Loss of dignity. Uh... Fame also usually leads to pressure, and pressure leads to addictions, Um, and addictions are to be avoided. Fortunately for me, my life never went in that direction, never did. I had my bouts of drinking and partying and stuff like that, but it was never a problem for me. I never had to go to treatment. A lot of my friends did, though. A lot of my friends did over the years. And I was spared that, too. Um, yeah. Another thing that I would want to talk about, too, is that whole idea of like what I mentioned in the first or second episode of this fame thing when I was talking about that group of people I was brushing up against. You know, they, they decided who was going to be invited to the party and they decided who wasn't. And let me tell you, I wasn't. I wasn't going to be allowed. I was going to be an outsider artist. I was not going to be on the inside. And I certainly knew at that time that there would be many things Uh, about the music industry certain aspects of success or levels of success that I would never really be able to participate in or enjoy okay and 
But what I can honestly say, having done this now for so long, is that for the guys I knew who did play ball, you know, uh, they didn't get any further than I did. They certainly did not. Your success uh, as an individual, as an artist, as a writer, as a filmmaker, whatever you're choosing to do with your life, anything, your level of success is determined by you and what you're doing and why you're doing it. So if you are willing to put in the hours, if you're willing to put in the work, if you're dedicated, it makes all the difference. The world is what we make of it. This is Mike Bostwick signing off for Pipe Choir Records. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.